I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Chapter 10, Love and Connection. I believe three of the most important words anyone can say are not, I love you, but I hear you. At this moment in our history, there is a painful divide separating the human experience. As I grow more deeply in my spiritual practice, I know the common thread we all share is a mutual desire for a connection and contentment. It's up to each one of us to begin the work to renew and repair that divine, universal bond. I like to visualize the communication in any relationship as a dance. One person takes a step forward, the other steps back, two energies moving in harmony, aligned and united, until there's a misstep or a break in the connection. If the breakdown is not addressed and corrected in that moment, both people wind up in a tangle of confusion. When spiritual teacher Adi Ashante joined me on Super Soul Sunday, he described that rhythm we create between one another as the intuitive presence in one soul recognizing the intuitive presence in another. His lesson is that every day, in every moment, our energy is seeking a way to connect with every other energy we encounter. And when we feel that joyful spark, it means that we have fully aligned presence to presence to the universal source that exists in us all. Everything we do, every relationship we have, succeeds or fails based on our level of true spiritual connection. So how do we get back in step when we find ourselves disconnected and retreating to separate corners of the dance floor? I've learned over the years that the most effective method to find common ground is to approach the person with heartfelt compassion and ask, what is it that you really want? If you allow them the quiet space to respond authentically, most people will often answer, with a variation of the same idea. I want to know that you value me. By fully embracing the spiritual principle that what we focus on expands, you will discover that giving your full, uninterrupted attention to one person can change the intensity with which that person shines their light on another. And so on and so on and so on. The universal power of collective energy was most profoundly explained to me by Harvard brain scientist Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. After suffering a devastating hemorrhagic stroke, the function of the left hemisphere of Jill's brain was wiped out. The right hemisphere, which focuses only on the present moment, remained intact. With no memory or language recognition, Jill became acutely aware of the energy surrounding her as Doctors, nurses, and visitors entered her hospital room. Jill determined that there were only two types of people in the world, those who bring energy and those who drain it away. 
The request Jill made of every person who came in contact with her throughout her recovery resonated so deeply with me, I posted it in the makeup room where I meet with producers before every show. Please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space. I realize that for every relationship, not only do I have to be accountable for the energy I bring, but I also have to take responsibility for the energy that I allow from others. I understand that strengthening the bond in any situation is impossible if you are not surrounded by energy that lifts you up. Now, let's expand that idea to the greater good of the world around us. As Holocaust survivor, Nobel Peace Prize winner, and best-selling author Elie Wiesel so beautifully explained to me, the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Ellie often said his favorite Bible verse was from Leviticus, Thou shalt not stand idly by. We know humanity is in need of the healing power that comes from love in all its forms. Use your life to serve the world, and you will discover the myriad ways the world offers itself to serve you. Only we hold the power to transform our collective consciousness. As a spirit dwelling in the ever-evolving human experience, I know that I am no better or worse than any other being. I simply am. You simply are. We are connected. Was the entire left hemisphere bleeding? Yes. It started relatively small, deep inside over here. Mm -hmm. But it was a hemorrhage, so it got bigger and bigger and bigger over the course of the morning. And the left hemisphere does what for us? That's our language? That's our... It does our language. It's our ability to think sequentially, to think methodically, to think linearly, to be able to know A plus B equals C. It's our numbers. It's our ability to communicate with the external world. And the right hemisphere is the big picture. The right hemisphere is the big picture. All the information Exactly. It gives us the context of everything. It also gives us the more subtle kinds of of understanding. It's our intuition. It's our witness or our observer. Wow. It's our our ability to experience peace, deep inner peace. So the two hemispheres are are very different in their function. The entire left hemisphere went quiet. It went totally silent. Which means you lost your ego. I lost my ego. Yeah, I was essentially an infant in a woman's body, and I didn't have any of her recollection of her life. So was I her anymore? So what did exist then? Um, So you lost the ego. You lost the sense of I am and your sense of context to, you know... I am not only not only a name, but I am, you know, a Ph.D. Right. at Harvard. Right. I am, you know. <laughs> I wasn't any of that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't any of that any- I wasn't any of that so anymore. So lost all of yeah, that. Yeah. But you, what you had, though, right. was a sense of oneness and right. a sense of peace and right. a sense of connection to humanity yeah. in a way that you'd never exactly. had before yeah. because all yeah. of that other stuff had been quieted. Exactly. Yeah. It, so, so when I look at people who have had any kind of trauma, I ask, what have they gained? What I gained was this incredible knowingness of deep inner peace, an excitement of realizing everything was interconnected, and I, I lost the, the boundary of my body, so I felt that I was, was enormous, as big as the universe, because mm-hmm. I no longer defined that this was where I began and this was where I ended. Nobody, nobody. but nobody makes nobody it out makes here alone. It, nobody makes no. it alone. 
What really matters now is love. I mean that condition in the human spirit so profound that it allows us to rise. Strength, love, courage, love, kindness, love. That is really what matters. There has always been evil, and there will always be evil, but there has always been good, and there is good now. I was about 12, we came home expecting company, so we'd all been out shopping, and my little parakeet was gone. Mm -hmm. I was an only child. I, this may seem strange to people, but that little bird was my companion. Mm -hmm. I didn't go home to Playmates. I went home to Billy, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Billy's now missing. My father moved every piece of furniture in that apartment. My mother looked under How long did you had Billy? I had Billy, I suppose, about three years, mm -hmm. certainly two years. Mm -hmm. And she, I had taught her to talk a little bit, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. The company came. I'm the child in the house, and I don't know how your family ran, yep. but the kid got out of the, the That's bed. That's right. You're to the, be seen and not heard. That's right. And the family went yes. to bed, okay? Yeah. But I, my heart was breaking, and I got into that bed, and I put my face down in the pillow, and I sobbed. I knew I had to be quiet. I couldn't disturb anybody, but I was crying, and my little body was heaving. And the next thing I knew was... I felt somebody on the floor beside me and then an arm on my back and I realized it was my mother and then I felt somebody on the floor on the other side and I realized it was my father and they had their arms around me like this saying that's all right darling that's all right we understand that's all right and I said to myself later as I look back over the years that's when I learned that humanity is about identifying with somebody else's pain, with being there, yeah. with, with somehow or other knowing that you cannot pass on the road because it's not your bird and it's not your child and it's not your pain. Humanity is the ability to hurt for the others because that's the only fuel that will stop the injustice. Mm -hmm. You must know people as people and you must do what they need in the middle of their pain. The first mantra is, darling, I'm here for you. When you love someone, the best thing you can offer him or her is your presence. How can you love if you are not there? That's a lovely mantra, darling, I'm here for you. And you look into his eyes and you say, darling, you know something? I'm here for you. You offer him or her your presence. Mm. And your true presence. You are not preoccupied with the past or the future, your project. You are for your beloved one. The second mantra is, darling, I know you are there. I'm, and I am so happy. Because you are truly there, you recognize the presence of your beloved one as uh, something very precious. Hmm. And you use your mindfulness to recognize that, embrace your beloved one with mindfulness, and she will bloom like a flower. To be loved means to be recognized as existing. Hmm. And uh, these two mantras can bring happiness right away. 
even if the, your beloved one is not there, you can use your telephone and practice the mantra. Darling, I'm here for you. Yeah. And darling, I know you're there. The third mantra is what you practice when your beloved one suffers. Darling, I know you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. Before you do something to help her, to help him, your presence already can bring some relief. And the acknowledgement of the the suffering or the hurting. And the fourth mantra is a little bit more difficult. That is when you suffer and you believe that your suffering has been caused by your beloved one. So you suffer so deeply Mm -hmm. and you prefer to go to your room and close the door and suffer alone. Yes. You get hurt and you, you want to punish him or her for having made you suffer. Yes. And the mantra is to overcome that. The mantra is, darling, I suffer. I am trying my best to practice. Please help me. You go to him, you go to her and practice that. And if you can bring yourself to say that mantra, you suffer less right away. A spiritual partnership is a partnership between equals. For between the purpose equals of spiritual, of spiritual growth. growth. For the purpose of spiritual growth. How we use a spiritual partnership to create authentic power. How do we do that? Creating authentic power is the reason that a spiritual partnership happens. Linda and I are spiritual partners. I'm committed to my spiritual growth, to creating authentic power. Linda is committed to her spiritual growth. I can't create it for her, she can't create it for me. But I can support her, and she can support me. And as you begin to become someone who is more interested in becoming emotionally aware and taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for what you create than in blaming other people, you draw other people to you who are doing the same. I've had many attractions in my life where I'm attracted to someone, but I felt that was really from fear-based parts of my personality mm-hmm. that wanted to find someone that would complete me. Yes, yes. And it wasn't like that at all. Yes. So whenever you're looking for a partner because you want to find that person, I actually said this to Tom Cruise a long time ago, that that movie, Jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. You Complete Me, really messed a lot of people up because mm-hmm. so many people... You know, and there wasn't a dry eye in the movie theater and all the women went, oh, she completes him. Right. When in fact, no one completes you. No, mm-hmm. no. In fact, there is no way I could have been in a relationship, a spiritual partnership with Gary, had I not done the work that I had done on myself because mm-hmm. I really got it. I created a life where I was the right person and changed myself mm-hmm. rather than trying to find someone to complete me, which really changed everything. And I know I would have never met Gary had I not done that had work. Had not done the work for that. There's no way. I think that's so powerful what you just said. It resonates with me and I know that many people hearing it will, um, the reason I'm emphasizing it is so you can really hear it, that instead of looking for the right person, work to make yourself the right person yes. for you and the right person will then be drawn to you based upon the work that you've done for yourself. The definition is so, for me, clear and poignant. A spiritual partnership is a partnership between equals 
for the purpose of spiritual growth. Let's go through each phase of that definition. What do you mean by a partnership between equals? If you look at the people around you, some of them are stronger, some right. of them are weaker, some of them can draw, some of them can write, some of them are wonderful mothers right. and others are wonderful carpenters. Uh, all of the inequality that you see are all characteristics of a personality. So when you connect with somebody and you feel equal, that is a soul-to-soul -soul connection. Personalities are not equal. Gotcha. Personalities are not equal. Souls are? Correct. Equality is understanding that there is nothing and no one in the universe more important than you. And there is nothing and no one in the universe less important than you. All right. Now, here's the thing that equality can teach you. If you don't feel equal, you're going to feel either superior or inferior. Mm -hmm. And both superiority and inferiority are experiences of parts of the personality that originate in fear. Yes. Mm -hmm. I get that. It's not possible to enter a spiritual partnership as an equal except soul to soul. If you're not equal, then you're either superior, or feeling superior or inferior. Mm -hmm. And if you are feeling one of those, then you know that a frightened part of your personality is active. So when I'm with Linda, for example, or with you, or with anyone that I'm a spiritual partner with, I try to use emotional awareness mm -hmm. and see, am I feeling inferior? Am I trying to please? Am I distorting who I am because I want something from somebody or just mm -hmm. their smile? Or am I feeling superior and entitled and I don't care? You know, do what you want. Here's who I am. But there's no connection. There, there's mm -hmm. no connection. Either one of those is a frightened part of my personality. And I know that I want to challenge it. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. We were one of two black families. So I always had kind of underlining issues with acceptance. And I just wanted someone to say what I already know, which mm -hmm. is that you're enough just the way that you that are. you're enough. And, and the only people that have ever said that really has been my mom and my sister, but we're blood. I needed someone else that, if they were coming into my life and gonna be a part of my life for the rest of my life, to love me just this way. And so I think a lot of that healing has come in marriage, for sure. And he's absolutely been incredibly nurturing in helping remind me of, you know, when, when someone says something bad about him, he does roll it off his back. I used to cry about it for like a week and my feelings would be so hurt. And the healing that he's brought in even that area alone, it just reminds me of who God is. Because even if someone else told me that, I couldn't receive it the way that I receive it because of the respect that I have for him. There's nothing more beautiful than an odd, strange word especially if it's got meaning and yeah. significance attached to it. So I'd stumbled across the word studying something, and I had found it in the writings of a Kabbalah mystic, Isaac Luria, who lived in Jerusalem. Yes. The original word is spelled with a T. It's T-Z-I-M, yeah. T-Z-U-M, yeah. and it means contraction or withdraw. This idea of making someone bigger in your life creating space for another. So how does the word zimzum, Christian, describe what happens when you're married? When you're married, you create space for this other person to thrive while they're doing the same for you. What that does is create space between you that has an energy to it. And we've recognized this energy in our own relationship. We can tell when it's flowing and bringing life. We can tell when something's blocking it. 
And so the zimzum happens when? Because most people want zimzum. Yeah. The zimzum happens when? It's when you intentionally give yourself to another, not just, well, let's see how this afternoon goes. No, I'm in this. I'm in this. A secret to long marriage, choose the right person. That's the first thing. And then we decided fairly early in our life to give each other plenty of space. Rosalind has her own ideas, her own ambitions, her own goals in life, which in some ways are different from mine. I, I let her do her thing, she lets me do my thing. And we try to resolve our inevitable and fairly frequent differences <laughs> before we go to bed at night. If you're going to really love somebody, mm -hmm. that means you're going to have faith in them. If you're going to love somebody, you're going to have to have the, the integrity and the goodness. Mm -hmm. If you're going to love somebody, you have to learn to be patient mm -hmm. with their strengths and with their yeah. weaknesses. My favorite definition that you give of love, you have it? Yes. Okay. Love is when you choose to be at your best when the other person is not at their best. Love is when what you want is never important, but what the other person needs and wants is always paramount. And that's a hard one to do, but that's what true love is. Yeah. Doesn't vulnerability open the door to having greater intimacy? I think it's the only door. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I think it's the only yeah, door. That there is no intimacy where there isn't no. vulnerability. Think about this. We wake up in the morning, we armor up, we go mm -hmm. out into the world with this, hey, take no prisoners, you're not gonna see me, you're not gonna hurt me. We come home and we don't take that armor off. Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden, you know, when you talk about sex or intimacy, you get in bed and all of a sudden, you know, it's like two people in big honking armor outfits. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. I think that that being open is what allows you the confidence to know that everybody else has also felt the same thing. That's that there's the truth. no emotion that you can have that somebody else hasn't had. Ever. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And that is what carried me through, you know, thousands of interviews. I know that whatever I'm feeling, there's at least 10 other people who are feeling the same thing. Which is vulnerability yes. and courage. Mm -hmm. I know so many comedians who feel like they've got to be funny to be valued, that it's all about the joke and it's all about how funny can you be and you're always thinking about the next joke. So was this a revelation to realize that you could be so loved? I feel like I tapped into something. Mm. I feel like I tapped into humanity and love. I really feel like I tapped into it. It's like you tapped into it mm. and now people just love you. I mean, when I first came out the hospital, the first time I ever left my house, it was just people were crying, hugging me, and it was weird to me, <laughs> but it felt good. Felt good. People really care. People care. And it just made me have a just new belief in people again. Now, when I come out on stage all the time, I get a standing ovation. That's just people, goodwill, being happy. But then you got a 20-second grace period. You got to go to work after that. <laughs> you can't forget people pay for these tickets. <laughs> so I go to work. 
You go to I work. Go to work, and I know I've tapped into something that no other comedian can really talk about. I've been to the other side, and I came back bearing gifts. And these <laughs> jokes I'm giving y'all, the gifts. I don't think most people thought of the spiritual nature of the game of basketball. What is that spiritual nature? Wow, it's such a great community that you have when you play the sport especially if you get to play it at a high level. Yeah. That there's this, you know, this is what spirit de corps, the word exactly comes from, that there's a spirit among this connected group, a connected yes. group of people. Yeah. And this spirituality is not about religion, of course. It's about the ability to incorporate other beings in your plans, in your system. Uh-huh. And my best nature also elevates their nature. And basketball or sports does this. It does this for us as watchers too, as spectators. We see something that, you know, is a remarkable play and we, we want to see it over and over again because it brings an elevated spirit to us. This was not just an individual action. While we might have different definitions of happiness, the triggers for happiness are similar worldwide. It's a deep social connection. The breadth and depth and the meaning in our relationships is one of the greatest predictors of long-term levels of happiness we have. So in communities where people, or in areas of the world where people have a strong sense of community, you have happier people. Right. And John, is it also based upon our expectation? Because, you know, I've, like you, traveled in countries where people had nothing Nothing, nothing, nothing. And yeah. you see the children in the yard right. playing with two sticks. They don't even have a ball. Right. And they're laughing and they're, they're so joyous. I don't understand it, really. Is it because there isn't a great expectation? There are lower expectations? I've found people that are living in extreme poverty who some of them are playing in the dirt and are very happy and some are sitting there bored and unhappy. Yes. And what we found in this research, some of the, the top researchers in positive psychology found that only 10% of our long-term levels of happiness is based upon the external world. 90% of our long-term happiness is how your brain processes the world we find ourselves in. Your adventures led you actually in the beginning from that first trip to India to understand that we communicate in circles. Can you talk about that? I learned that in India by good luck, by accident, was walking through Indian villages with a Gandhian group trying to get a message of we care about you to an area where there had been riots. So we were just traveling by foot and being fed by the villagers and so on. And every night we would sit around a kerosene lamp and the villagers would tell terrible stories of what was happening. But by the end of a few hours, the very fact that they could talk to each other, that they weren't alone in experiencing this, would begin to, to transform the group. And the Gandhians were saying to me, just very simple rules, you know, if you, if you want people to listen to you, you have to listen to them. If you want to know how people live, you have to go where they live. Everyone has a story, you have to listen to each other's yeah. stories and sit in a circle. And every movement that we care about, you know, I mean, Civil rights movement came out of churches in the South, people That's right. testifying and telling their stories, and the, the women's movement, women sitting in circles. And to, mm -hmm. You know, we are communal people. But it took me a while to realize that what I had learned in India had any 
application in the rest of, of my life. Well, in order for truth to be truth, it applies to all things, really. It does. Remember that. That's a very... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've figured out at all of my interviews. For to be truthful, it has to apply to all yeah, things. Right. My clients have taught me that each person is more than the worst thing they've ever done. Because when I meet them, I meet them through some accusation of something horrific and terrible. Mm -hmm. And what they teach me is that they're more than that crime, they're more than that worst act. And I really have come to believe that if someone tells a lie, they're not just a liar. If someone takes something that doesn't belong to them, they're not just a thief. Even if you kill somebody, you're not just mm -hmm. a killer. And what a just and evolved and compassionate society has to do is to kind of figure out the other things you are. How has the lives of your clients informed your own humanity? It's taught me that, you know, mercy is not something we give to people because they deserve it. Compassion is not something we offer to people because they're owed. It's what we do because it's the way we find mercy for ourselves. You can't get mercy unless you give it. You can't receive compassion unless you give it. And it's made me want to be merciful and compassionate. It's made me want to understand the people who are unhappy with me, who are hostile to me, who sometimes act as if they hate me. I used to get death threats and bomb threats. And it's made me not want to believe that the people behind those threats are just enemies or haters or bigots. It's made me recognize that they're like my clients. They need someone to kind of get past what's created this burden, this fear, this mm -hmm. anger. This it's really fear. It really it? is fear. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is what's interesting, that living your truth nearly cost you your life. You've said if you're afraid, you can't move forward. And so is courage something that you think other people can develop or give to themselves. So there's like this fight between courage and fear. And sometimes we choose fear because we want to protect ourselves, but we don't realize that by choosing fear, we put ourselves in a situation that has really bad impact on us. So if I would have kept silent in Swat Valley and my father would have kept silent and all of us would have kept silent, then there would not have been that moment when change would have come in our valley. So. It's better to speak out, to, to have that moment when you say, I'm going to do something from my side. And that needs a bit of courage. So our courage was stronger than our fear and that what really changed our lives. There was fear, there was, it wasn't that we just totally were fine with what was going on in our society. We were afraid. Has this experience made you less afraid of death? Yes, definitely. Before that take, I used to think that how would it feel if you are attacked? And I had these thoughts coming again and again. And I sometimes used to think that I would be attacked, but not really expecting, but these thoughts were coming to my mind. And but after I was, I was attacked, as I said it in my UN speech, that they, they changed nothing in my life, that except that weakness, fear, and hopelessness died, and strength, power, and courage was born. I feel stronger than before. Malala, finish this sentence. I believe. I believe and I know for sure that if you have strong commitment within your heart, if you have love in your heart, that you want to do something better, the whole world and the whole universe supports you in your cause. And I had this simple one word or one sentence dream that was to see every child going to school. 
and I spoke out for it and my father spoke out for it in this small valley in Pakistan, Swat Valley. And that journey started and now it's going on and getting better and developing each and every day. Look, whatever you do in life, remember, think higher and feel deeper. It cannot be bad if you do that. Think Just higher. Always think higher and feel deeper. And feel deeper. Life is not a feast. Life is an open hand, waiting for some other hand to enter it. Yes. Into friendship. Yes. Ultimately, the answers are so simple. Not simplistic, but so simple. So simple. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>